The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Let's let's open our Bibles. I'm, I'm going to begin at Romans chapter 11, so if you'd like to go there, Romans chapter 11. But let's look at Romans chapter 11, and we're going to begin there. Verse 33, we read here, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Let's, let's pray before we go any further. Father, thank you for this time. You are the reason we're here, Lord. We're here because of you. We're here because of Jesus, your son, and the love that you have for us. And we're here to serve you. And we're here to praise you and worship you. So bless this time. Use it now to edify our hearts and minds, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I've gone through 11 attributes of God, and I'm not going to go through all of them again. We're just going to begin today with number 12. And that is that God is inscrutable. Inscrutable. If you don't know how to spell that, it's I-N-scrutable. Okay. God is inscrutable. We just read from Romans chapter eleven thirty-three. The, the author of Romans states how unsearchable are God's judgments and his ways past finding out. To be inscrutable means not to be easily or readily investigated, interpreted, or understood. Um, we know what, what we know of God, we find in his word. And this is the only revelation that you and I have of God. And we know this, this testimony and we know this witness is true because of the indwelling spirit in our hearts. The spirit confirms these truths to us. But if it is not revealed to us in the word of God, then we cannot know if it's fact or not. But what we do know God, do we not? We do know the Lord and we do know his attributes and we do know the things about God because we are, they are revealed to us in the written word of God. The Latin root word, root word of, of, of inscrutable is the word scrutari, which means to scrutinize. And when we add the prefix in front of it, I-N means not. So when we say God is inscrutable, we, we, what we're saying is he cannot be scrutinized. He is above scrutiny. Scrutiny is a critical observation or examination, and, and God is beyond that. Carried further, this implies that God's actions and his behaviors are not subject to our understanding, nor to our approval. Have you ever stopped for a moment in your life and just thought, why? Why does God allow this to happen? I'm sure we all have. And if you say, no, I never have, then either you don't know anything about God or you're not telling the truth. We've all done that. We, 
I've done that at times. I've thought to myself, how, Lord, how can something like this take place? How can, how can you allow something like this to happen? I've been approached by so many people over the years and say, how can a God allow such things to happen? And I usually remind them, it's not God. It's sin. Bad things happen on this earth because of sin and the curse of sin and the results of sin. Someone goes out and and fills their body with liquor and alcohol and becomes so inebriated they can't even barely speak. And they get in a car and they use that, they drive that car down the highway and they, they wreck and kill a family. Is that God's fault? No, that's the result of sin. The action of sin. And that's why every action that, that we partake in is so critical. We must be so careful to live our life in such a way that we do not bring reproach to the name of Christ. God does not answer to us. He doesn't owe you an explanation. How often have we heard the old adage, God works in mysterious ways. Any of you ever hear that? God works in mysterious ways. I used to hear that all the time when I was a kid. God works in mysterious ways. And indeed he does. God's will is set in motion. And God himself cannot cannot, uh, negate his own will. We cannot know the purpose of God in every event in our lives. Now, we can look back. When we come through difficult times, when we come through trials, when we come through a storm, what do we usually do? We recap. You know, like when a football game is over, they, they take 30 minutes to talk about what we just saw. You know, they recap. But when, when we come through something like that, we look back. And as we, as we look back and see everything that took place, then we often say what? Ah, now I see what God was doing. We don't, we don't see it as it's happening. It's, we're, we're so centered and so involved. That's why it's so important. That's why it's so important that when we're going through a storm, when we're going through trials, that we keep our eyes on the Lord. We don't make decisions during those times. We, we stay with what we know to be true. And we keep our eyes on the Lord. And we stay on our knees in prayer. And we trust God to guide us through that time. And look for the lessons that God wants us to learn. Because when God puts us through a trial, it's to teach us something. It's to glorify himself, but also it's something we need. And he wants to teach us something. So we must remember that. We cannot know the purpose of God in every event. Some are discernible, others are not. To attempt to answer this question would be as futile as trying to stop the earth from spinning in its orbit. There's nothing you and I can do to stop the earth from spinning and orbiting and going around the sun, is there? And nor would we want to, but there's nothing we could do. And to presume that God is obligated to reveal to us all his intent 
is as naive as to believe the king must answer to the slave. No, we, we're not entitled to know. God is not obligated to explain it to us. He will, he will reveal to us those things that he wants us to know. And that should be sufficient for us. We see in the Ten Commandments, for instance, God's holiness, his spiritual holiness. In Exodus chapter 35 and verse 40, we we read about the spiritual holiness of God. And we see this illustrated in the feasts and the offerings. We talk about his spiritual holiness. Then we, we also see his ceremonial holiness. Which things come through Leviticus chapter 11 verse 15. Which come through his dietary laws. His sanitation laws. This is the ceremonial holiness of God. I'm not sure I'm on my schedule here. Let me look at something here real quick. Yeah, I'm all right. So we see God's. God's uh, he's inscrutable. He's. He's uh, undiscernible in, in, his, in his holiness. Then, secondly, letter B, his details concerning objects of worship. He's, he's unscrutable in, in those things. The tabernacle. All the details in his worship. We see that in his personal visions. I'm not sure I'm on the right spot, am I? No. I printed this thing and I think it printed up wrong. I'm off my notes. Okay, God is inscrutable. Here we go. I got to jump all the way over here. All right. So forget everything I just said. <laughs> and we're going we're gonna to back up to my last statement before I got off page was that to presume that God is obligated to reveal his intent to us is totally... Uh, out of, out of the expectation. No other event in, in the Bible better illustrates this than the test of Abraham. As told in Genesis chapter 22. Let's turn there if you would. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. I printed this lesson out about a month ago because that's when I was supposed to teach it. And... Uh, I reprinted it again this morning. However, this time I printed it out of order. So I apologize for that. Genesis chapter 22. We read, beginning in verse 1, It came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. And said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. Now wait a minute. Someone would say right here, Now wait a minute. I thought the word of God says that God cannot be tempted, neither tempteth he any man. And yes, that's true. The word tempt here really means test. So God tested. He decided to test Abraham. And he said, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Now, when we look at this story... Uh, I've had a lot of people come to me and say, well, even my own father, in fact, said, well, do you really believe God would tell a man to kill his own son? And 
I told him, I said, yes, I do. The Bible tells me that. That's what I believe. God is unscrutable. We, we don't understand. We don't, we don't fully, when you first read this story, you don't really understand what's going on. Why would God do this? Why would God tell Abraham to go and, and kill Isaac? To offer him up on, on the offer, on the altar. Why would he do that? He, he promised he would build a great nation out of, out of, out of Abraham's son, out of Abraham's seed. And, and now he's telling him to kill him before he's married, before he's had any children. Now, let me, let me interject here. God is not, I said God, that word tempt means test, but God isn't testing Abraham to see how Abraham, so God would know how Abraham will behave. That's not what he's doing. God already knows Abraham. He knows him from beginning to end. He already knows all he needs to know about Abraham. This test isn't so God can see what Abraham will do. This, this, this trial, this test is to show Abraham what Abraham must be. This is all for Abraham's sake. And in this time, in this trial, in all of these events, Abraham did not question the will of God. I want you to notice that firstly. Now we're on track. Now you can start writing. Abraham did not question the will of God. In, in verse 3, we see, we see it says, And Abraham rose up late the next day. Is that what it says? Hmm? For some of us, that's, that's what it would say. You know, some of us who like to sleep in till. 10, 30, 11, 12, 1 o'clock? No, it says Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Abraham didn't, didn't question God. He just obeyed him. God told Abraham, take thy son Isaac and take him to the place that I will show you. And there you offer him up to me as a sacrifice. Isn't that what it said? Verse verse, uh, 2. Take now thy son, thy only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. Now I I got to be honest with you. I don't know if I I don't know if I could have done that. I I I I I don't know that if the Lord came to me and said, "Take your son and sacrifice him unto me," I I don't I don't know. I I hope I would, but I'm not sure I would. But Abraham, who's who's known as the father of the faithful, he didn't question God's will. And you know, sometimes that's, that's what we, just what we have to do. You would now because you have the example. Yes. We, we, know, we know that, yes. But we're not to question God's will. I've shared this before. When my son was born, he was born with a very serious heart defect. He's what the old people called a blue baby. And blue babies didn't live very long. And... Of course, being a believer, being a Christian, I had faith. And I remember going to a little chapel there in that, in that hospital. And I remember kneeling down at this little podium they had, and they had a Bible on that podium. 
And I remember kneeling there, and what I did is I prayed, I asked God to help me accept his will. I asked him that day, and I'm not boasting, but I asked him that day to help me accept his will for me. And over the years, I've learned that's what we have to do. Uh, when people come to me, sometimes they're hurting and, and they're scared. But I tell them, listen, what you need to do is just trust the Lord and pray and ask him to give you the strength to accept his will, whatever it may be. Some people will come along and say, oh, don't worry about it. Everything's going to be OK. It's all going to work out. God, I don't know that that's the case. But I do know this, that if I pray and ask God to, to help me accept his will, he will do so. And that's what we must do. We don't, we don't question the will of God. But not only did he not question, but let her be, Abraham did not challenge the will of God. Again, in Genesis chapter 22, verses 5 through 7, And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son, and took the fire in his hand and a knife. And they went, both of them, together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Uh, Notice Isaac is starting to Put things together. Okay, Dad, we're here to make an, a sacrifice. We've got wood. We've got fire. You have a knife. Where's the lamb? Where's the sacrifice, Dad? Again, in this place, Abraham, he didn't challenge God. He trusted him. And he didn't understand it completely, but Abraham understood that God's will would be done. He didn't understand how God was going to take this situation and yet continue to further his, his prodigy, but he knew that it would happen because that's what God said would happen. He didn't challenge God's will. I've seen so many Christians manipulate situations in their life because Things aren't going the way they want them to go. And they lack the faith to believe that in the end God will bring everything where he wants it to be. So they, they make change, make decisions, and, and they, they, they do things that they think will, will give them a better life. And yet they, they go on to, to extreme failures and disappointments and all these things. Why? Because God's will shall be done. And if we get off course, God has to bring us back. And that can sometimes be painful. But not only did Abraham not challenge the will of God, but you know what? Isaac didn't challenge it either. In fact, my next point is this. Abraham accepted the will of God. And so did Isaac. We see from this story. Genesis 22, 8. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. Now, I'm pretty sure probably Isaac could have outrun Abraham if he'd have wanted to. 
And Isaac could have hightailed it. He could have took off and run away. And the, I, I also understand from this story that the fact that they're in this place at this point that Abraham had already accepted the will of God. Why would Abraham go all that way and go through all of that if he wasn't, if he hadn't accepted God's will? He accepted God's will before he left his tent. And because of, I want you to notice this, fathers and grandfathers in this room, <clears throat> because of Abraham's faith, Isaac had faith. Isaac had faith because he saw his father's faith. And he learned faith from his father. You're a father in this room? Then be the example you need to be for your children. In spiritual things. You're a grandfather in this room? As I am? Be that example. I tell my children all that. My youngest is 30, 33. Will be 33 on Thursday. I tell my children all the time, you're still my kids. Doesn't matter how old you get to be. You're still my kids. And you're still going to answer to me. Absolutely. Abraham accepted the will of God. He he, he didn't question God's will. When, when God's will came to him, he, he didn't question it. He didn't challenge it. He accepted it. And you and I, if we learn this lesson, if we learn in our life when, when the Lord's will comes before us, even though it may be unpleasant, even though we may not understand it, if we just learn to accept it and to follow the, the guidance of God's Holy Spirit in our life, Everything's going to be fine. It may not. And listen. We must, we must know and accept in our hearts that God loves us. And that he will do what, is, what he deems best for us. And that doesn't always mean we, in, we finish on top. Sometimes Christians die. Sometimes good people die. But it's in God's will. You say, well, that's a horrible thing. Is it, is it really? If, if a believer dies, is that a horrible thing? Who here thinks the death of a believer is a horrible thing? No, it's not. Matter of fact, the Bible says there's rejoicing in heaven over one saint that dies. No, it's not, it's not a tragic thing. It's a glorious thing. And when you as a believer get to the point in your life where you understand for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, then you live such, such a more, so, so much more of a happy life. A fulfilling life. We must trust God and not our own understanding. Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 and 6 Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. God is above scrutiny. His will is sovereign. His purposes are supreme. 
So God is inscrutable. But then next, number 13 on your study sheets, is this. God is holy. God is holy. In Psalm 99, we read, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16 states, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Now, without a doubt, the most prominent attribute of God is his holiness. This one single attribute describes the eternal creator better than any other characteristic he possesses. It's been suggested that his holiness is the union of all the other attributes he possesses. Just as pure white light is the union of all the colored rays of the spectrum. A famous commentary uh, author wrote this. Holy is the way God is. He is not holy because he conforms to a standard. He is the standard. He is absolutely holy with, with an infinite, incomprehensible fullness of purity that is incapable of being other than it is. Because he is holy, all his attributes are holy. That is, whatever we think of as belonging to God must be thought of as holy. God is holy, and he has made holiness the moral condition necessary to the health of his universe. Sin's temporary presence in the world only accents this. Whatever is holy is healthy. Evil is a moral sickness that must end ultimately in death. Since God's first concern for his universe is his holiness, whatever is contrary to this is under his eternal displeasure. To preserve his creation, God must destroy whatever would destroy it. When he arises to put down iniquity and save the world from inseparable moral collapse, he is said to be angry. Every wrathful judgment in the history of the world has been a holy act of preservation. The holiness of God, the wrath of God, and the health of the creation are inseparably united. God's wrath is his utter intolerance of whatever degrades and destroys. He hates iniquity as a mother hates the polio that would take the life of her child. God is holy. And because we dwell or he dwells in us, we too are holy. I preached a series of lessons on this, probably, I don't, I'm sure you probably don't remember it, but I preached a series on what is holiness. And we talked about this. We're not holy because we abstain from certain behaviors. We're not holy because we're Capable. We're not holy today because we came to church. We're not holy today because we can dress a certain way or, 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 or anything like that. We're not holy because we, we don't drink or we don't smoke or, or we don't uh, 
I don't remember what the old saying is. I don't smoke and I don't drink. And I don't know. Anyway. But we don't, it's, we're not holy because we, we, we abstain from those things. We're already holy. The moment I was redeemed by my Savior's blood, I was made holy in the sight of God. Not me, but he which dwelleth in me. That nature that I received upon salvation, which is the the Son of God, that nature that, remember the Bible says that uh, we we were given a new nature. That is holy. And that is what is in us. When God looks at me, he sees, he sees the righteousness and holiness of who? Me? Of Christ. Listen, quit trying to be holy. Because you already are. You already are in God's sight. And because we already are, that should, that should be the motivation. That should be the empowerment for us to live holy. When we, when we come to the point where we realize it's not me, it's Christ. And we yield ourselves to that, to that nature, to that spirit. What did Paul say? But, but by the grace of God I am what I am. It's not, Paul said it's not my righteousness but his. You see, now we can resist temptation. Now we can overcome sin. Now we can do all those things we couldn't do when we were lost. Because when we were lost, we were, we were helpless and we were hopeless. But now we are empowered by the grace of God, by the Spirit of Christ. We are empowered to live and walk in holiness. Not our own, but His. God's holiness can be seen in in the scriptures. We see them, first of all, in his direct commandments. His moral holiness is seen in the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. Now, Now these points fit in better than when I was trying to force them in earlier. We see those by his Ten Commandments. Uh, His moral holiness. We see his spiritual holiness. And in, in the many details we find in the feasts and offerings in Exodus chapter 35 uh, through, through chapter 40. His holiness is seen in his ceremonial, the, the details of the ceremonial holiness. In the dietary laws and, and, and all the sanitation laws and all these things. We see the holiness of God in scriptures. By his direct commandments. But then also letter B. His details concerning the objects of worship. We just went through a whole series of Sunday night messages from the pastor on the tabernacle. And there is so much detail, isn't there, found in scripture over the tabernacle. I mean, down to the very stitchings, there's details. And, and this shows the, the, the attention that God gives to all these details, shows his holiness. Shows his expectations. We see God's holiness thirdly in his in personal visions. Moses, Exodus chapter thirty three, uh, verse eighteen through twenty, and he said, "I beseech thee, show me thy glory." 
And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. We see the holiness of God in the personal visions of Moses. We see them in the personal visions of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, we read, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The holiness of God. Our eyes have never, never even envisioned what this is like. But these men did. And they, they speak of God's great holiness. His holiness is seen in individual judgments that, that God has, 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 has done. Upon Nadab and Abihu for offering strange fire. Anybody remember that story? Nadab and Abihu. Uh, they were supposed to fill the censer with coals from the altar only. And with those they were to bless the people. And they lit fresh coals, did not take them from the altar. And because they, they used, uh, they used uh, strange fire, what did the Lord do? Struck them dead. Upon Korah, for his rebellion. Korah led the people of God to rebel against Moses and Aaron. And what did God do? He opened up the earth and swallowed them alive. They and all of their followers. That ought to get your attention. His judgments upon Herod for blasphemy. In Acts chapter 12. Anybody remember that story? He stood out and publicly proclaimed himself as God. And what did the Bible say? The worms ate him alive. Oh yes, God is holy. God is holy, and you and I are commanded to be holy. But how can we be? We can be by the Spirit which lives within us. We are holy. And I've said it earlier. People are trying to live holy lives. Well, stop trying and start living it, because God has made you holy. Therefore, walk in his righteousness and live in his holiness. All right, folks. Well, this was a bit of a disjointed lesson. I'm sorry. Uh, I, went, I, went, I went all directions, but uh, I hope the Lord was able to use this in some way to bless you today. Uh, we're going to start our service in 10 minutes. So um, thank you for being here this morning, and you are dismissed. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. 
If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.